This is Heartstock Radio. I'm your host, Carol Murphy. Today, our guest is Nicole Masters. She's the director of Integrity Soils, and she's also the author of For the Love of Soil. In just a moment, she's going to be with us. And I just found out a few moments ago before I hit record that she's a new resident of the state of Montana. I'm always excited when I get to speak to somebody in Montana. She will be with us here in just a moment. Thanks for listening. This is Heartstock. As I went walking that ribbon of highway, I saw the Welcome once again. This is Heartstock Radio. I'm Carol Murphy, your host, and Daniel Hogan is in the studio in Butte, of course, where we are recording. And hello, Nicole. Can you give our listeners just a little introduction here? What is Integrity Soils and what it is that you do there? <laughs> Hi, Carol. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, Integrity Soils is an agroecological coaching company, coaching and education. I've been doing this for over 20 years, so working with farmers and ranchers around restoring ecosystem function, uh, profitability, um, and overall well-being and fun, I find, is one of the outcomes of the work that we do. Pre-COVID, we were working more consultancy one-on-one with producers, and these days uh, we're predominantly providing education and training to organizations and to people interested in actually being an agroecologist in the field. And how about your book? What is that about? Uh, I have to say, I've, I'm listening to it on Audible. Um, <laughs> I've gotten through the first part of the book, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, tell our listeners a little bit about that. It's, sure. a- it's awesome, by the way. I love it. Oh, Oh, good. Thank you. I'm often asked to write a book on soils for dummies, and that's not what this book was. I I really dove into how is it that someone can build their soil health and start to be able to do their own diagnostics and feel for what does healthy soil look like? What are the micro- microbes involved in building soil health? How does that relate to human health? Um, and hopefully made it a lot of fun along the way. So it's people's stories um, and their journey from people I've worked with in North America, Australia, and New Zealand. Hmm. And I detect a little bit of an accent. Um, (laughs) And you do talk about, you know, some of your, your life story and history in the book. Uh But um, so you're from New Zealand, is that right? From New Zealand, uh, probably the last 10 years, I've been working in the U.S. in the last five years, really based um, more heavily in the in the U.S. And now, as of last, oh, only like 10 days ago, I've brought a property in Paradise Valley in Montana. So um, I'm officially, uh, yeah, a Montanan. <laughs> and what made you decide to come to Montana? Oh, gosh, everyone asks me that, and it's so hard. Um, the rocks. The rocks is what brought me here, the river. Um, the people just, there's an extraordinary community living here in Montana. And right now I can't say I'm particularly enjoying it. It's like minus 12 degrees outside and blowing a gale. And I'm like, why am I here? But, uh, you know, it warms up. And then I remember that 
it, it is absolutely stunning here. And I think part of the appeal is it's not so heavily populated. You know, as New Zealanders, we kind of like our personal space and there's something um, great here. And I think the wildlife, you know, the antelope, we've got, you know, mule deer running past. This is the end of the migratory path for the elk that come out of the southern end of the park. It's the longest migration in the U.S. And they turn around basically at my house. So I just, I, I just love that connection to, to wild, to the wild here. Mm-hmm. Yes, sure. and you're actually the second person I know that is here from New Zealand, and I'm, <laughs> and I have never been to New Zealand, but you know we've all sure. seen the pictures and how beautiful it is. So, mm-hmm. do sure. you are you homesick ever? Do you miss New Zealand? Uh, don't tell my. 22-year-old son this, but no, I don't miss New Zealand at all. And it's weird because I've never lived further than 40 minutes from the ocean. I have my paddy diver's license. I've always been in the ocean. I've always fished and I love the sea. And now to to live so far away from it, I thought that I would miss that, but I kind of seem to get my fill in other ways. And um, I think New Zealand just started to hurt my heart so much from just the devastation that's happened in a very short amount of time from, you know, New Zealand's one of the highest fertilizer users in the world, huge amounts of monocultures. They've jumped on this carbon bank runaway train, which is planting monoculture pine forest. And then to see, I don't know if people have been watching the news, but, you know, in February, just the horrific flooding events that have happened in New Zealand and just to see the devastation of poorly managed forestry um, it's destroyed bridges, cut people off from communities, absolute massive flooding. And a big part of that is is human-induced. Yes, and that could be a whole topic of discussion oh, in and of yes. itself. <laughs> and For sure. It, and For sure. This, this is the point, right? This is the point. Mm-hmm. Why, mm-hmm. Is. why should we care about dirt? <laughs> Please well, first help off, Carol, us understand. <laughs> we call dirt swearing. Ah! Um, uh, so, so the, it's another four-letter word, which is a four-letter word like love, which is soil, um, because the, <laughs> because our entire society, culture, the the way climate functions, uh, water quality, acidification of the oceans, that everything comes back to soil, and. I think it's the disconnect from soil that's really led to so many issues um, in society and on the planet. And if we reconnect it into the value of, you know, building deep, rich topsoils, of which America had some of the most extraordinary soils, and that is what has enabled America, America to do so many of the things that this country's done, and now we literally are treating that soil like dirt. Indeedy. So um, tell us where your journey with soil began and how did you catch the soil bug, so to speak? <laughs> A little play on words, sorry. Couldn't, couldn't resist. Yeah, you know, I think my family will say it started the minute I could crawl, you know, I was in the garden and eating snails and <laughs> just uh, breathing and, and eating a lot of soil, I think. But I think for me, I've never had this sense of disconnect. And I also, I've lived in some of the biggest cities in the world. Like I lived in Hong Kong for, I think, about six years. And that experience really made me realize how disconnected people can feel and how actually a city can live in its own filth and squalor and be breathing in smog and still that's not a catalyst to change. 
So I became very interested in the behavioral change side of things. Uh, what is it that enables someone to break a habit, for instance? And so half of my studies have been in soil and half of my studies have been in behavioral change. And so I think it's a, it's soil, just as it is trying to understand the human psyche, is a journey that never gets dull and you never reach the end and it's always um, exploration. And when did you become a soil scientist? Mm. I don't think I've ever called myself a soil scientist. So I... Hmm. Aficionado? Yeah. Uh, so my degrees are soil science and ecology, but an agroecologist is quite distinct in terms of we're looking at the world through ecological connections. You know, we're looking for patterns. We're looking for how do we produce food in a way that brings vibrancy and more and more biodiversity and more health. And so soil science sometimes for me feels very dry. And when I did soil papers, there wasn't a lot of conversation about the aliveness and the biodiversity in soil. And I think part of what's happening in soil is the same thing that's happening in the human microbiome in terms of just an explosion and the realization that that microbiology uh, is what, you know, alters your mood. It's what... Um, you know, changes your cravings. And so the, the soil microbiome is really what dictates plant health, resilience, um, drought proofing, what attracts grasshoppers or not, for instance. And so I think we are seeing such a revolution in this space. Um, it's very exciting to be involved in. Yes. And I'm amazed with some of the books that I've read, just how interconnected everything is. Mm -hmm. So going back to your early days, were there influences that made you connect with the soil? Help us understand your journey. My grandmother subscribed me to National Geographic when I was five. And she also had the Encyclopedia Britannica. And I just was voracious for knowledge. But uh, when I was five is when Mount St. Helens erupted. And I was reading National Geographic and just so awe-inspired by the power of the earth that something like a volcano could blow up like that and totally change people's lives. And then to read through National Geographic in terms of that regeneration of that landscape and, you know, when the animals came back and the plants came back and just being really curious about that process. And I think National Geographic just opened my eyes are so many things like I think of Jane Goodall's work with the chimpanzees and how as a woman she broke through what was happening in science and she was seeing animals through a human veil. She wasn't trying to make animals all this scientific separate data driven. She really brought a humanity to behavior in, in chimpanzees and at the time, that was just such a revelation. And, and, and I think globally it was as well. But for a young person, just being like so captivated by the monkeys as well. <laughs> so I think it, for me, there's so many pieces to this of like discovery and wonder. And I think that's what I see is the most successful of, of the producers I work with are people that keep that wonderment. They are very curious. They're very interested in the world around them. And it's what enables them to be so successful and also to, I think, really address some of the issues that we're facing in agriculture, which is around um, mental health and around financial issues and around the, the destruction of ecosystems. 
And so, yeah, I think wonder for me is, is a key part of what I do. And how about your schooling? Was that in New Zealand? You said soil science and behavior? Uh, yeah, did so I, that, I right? did ecology, ecology to start with, mm-hmm. soil science, and then and then I went on to um, do my master at studies through the geography department, which is where you can study things like organizational learning, which is business through the veil of ecological thinking. And then mm-hmm. since then, certainly a lot more, a lot, so much of this is happening outside the academic university system. I just finished a course in the neuroscience of change. So what are we learning about the human body and, uh, and the brain in terms of learning and how to create environments that really enable people to learn more effectively or enable them to change behaviors? And so, yeah, that's been a lot of fun. So I just feel like that academic foundation really just gave me the, the ability to look you know, through research and, and do literature research and that like expansion of my ability to learn, but really isn't the material that I, I built my life and career on. And what brought you to the United States? When, when did that happen? Was it after an, kind of a result of the book? No, so I've been here since 2013. Uh, I was invited to speak at a ranching for profit event which was just an extraordinary conference. And there were like 600 ranchers there. And I walked down the stairs into the lobby and, you know, this guy takes off his hat, says, howdy, ma'am, opens the door. And I'm like, you people are real? Like, <laughs> I just kind of thought, you know, cowboys or something you read about. And to get here um, into the West and, and meet people that authentic- authentically are living in the landscape and living with horses, um, was something that I found really inspiring coming from New Zealand. And just, you know, the big sky is very different from the New Zealand landscape. But I've always just found people to be, the ones I work with, just really authentic. You know, and I think there's a big part of the polarization that's happening in this country. And actually at the heart of it, 80% of people really genuine and, you know, really do care. And it's just these loud, polarized voices that we hear from. and um that for me is quite interesting. Just that uh, world that maybe people outside of America see Americans as being is not the reality when you work here. We're going to take our midway point break here and we're going to dive into soils more and talk about your work. We'll be right back. This is Heartstock. Welcome back. This is Heartstock Radio. I'm your host, Carol Murphy, and we're speaking with Nicole Masters today. And the thing that struck me the most, you know, when I took soil science courses in undergrad, there wasn't a whole lot of information about microbes. And 
you know, I I think the field has just expanded exponentially in that regard. Help Mm -hmm. us understand what is going on in the soil. Yeah. What do we we know now? Well, I think what we know now or understand more about soil is how little we know and just how how much we call it the the chatter that's happening underground but there is literally a universe there's more biodiversity in soil than any other ecosystem and that biodiversity is there to support healthy production of of you know plants trees animals all of it is built upon this framework and those microbes are doing things like communicating actively with plants and plants the same way. A plant will send a signal to certain groups of microbiology to say, hey, I need this kind of nutrient or I'm under attack from an insect. And that microbe can actually provide what we call these secondary metabolites, these chemicals, signals that enable a plant to defend itself. And what's interesting is the plant can't do it without these microbial partners. So we know there's a huge amount of diversity just with the main groups you're thinking bacteria and fungi and protozoa and nematodes, so all the things that we we can't see. But what's interesting is the most common organism in soil is viruses. And we know very little about what viruses do, except they control the overpopulation of things like bacteria, that a bacteria itself can live forever, you know, can live for millions of years. And it really is, at the end of the day, a virus that will take it out and um, mean that it won't live forever as such. So I think of soil as an underground metropolis, you know, there's, there's services under there, there's a hospital, there's a school, there's a bank account, there's a a pub even, or a saloon that we have um, where organisms can go to, they can, um, they might be producing antibiotics, they might be communicating or hunting together, even though they don't have eyes, they have the ability to communicate. And, And you think every single cell has 100,000 receptors on that single cell and it's waiting for some kind of chemical signal. And so everything in soil is about listening for and responding to these signals. So so some of those signals might be to turn off, they might be to turn into something virulent, but all of this is what enables plants themselves to be healthy. So I want you to think of a plant as having its gut system outside of its body. So just as we're beginning to understand more about the human gut microbiome and its relationship to nearly every single disorder we seem to be facing, it's the same with the with the plant. And that plant is outsourcing those services, it's outsourcing its immune system, how it gets nutrition, and then it affects the quality of what we're eating. So there's so many of these chemicals that we're just understanding now. So like, let's take one and it's called ergothionine. It's produced in the plant with the presence of beneficial fungi. Why we need that in our diet is it's been related to longevity. So it's it's something that if we are ingesting, it's an essential, well, not an essential amino acid, but an amino acid that actually can contribute to longevity. And this is just something we discovered in the last year. And it's like we, yeah, we know so very little about what's going on. And it's just this constant page turner. <laughs> And I'm hoping you can kind of give our listeners a taste of what it's like to work with Integrity Soils. Maybe Um, you can share, you know, real life experience of how you've helped someone really improve their facilities and production by changing the soil. Mm -hmm. 
Oh, yeah. And so many people come to mind. And it's interesting because, like I said, pre-COVID, we, I really stopped uh, working one-on-one with people. So now I'm working more with organizations or training coaches. So training people to, to deliver these programs. But one of the reasons I first arrived in Montana was to work with a couple of ranchers. And one of those included the Ingerland family, Roger and Betsy, Kate and Anne Ingerland, just out of Big Timber. And what was fascinating about working with them is just their curiosity and their interest in understanding their landscapes, but also, you know, what, what could be possible here? What did this landscape used to look like? And some of the early steps that we took, and certainly I say we very liberally, I mean, really, it's the ranchers that are taking these actions. They took their relative feed value from 155 to 222. What that means in layman's terms is that they've increased the effectiveness of the actual pasture that they're they're grazing upon. And in some ways, you can almost think of it as they've actually just brought another quarter of their property again in land in terms of the effectiveness of animals not needing to eat as much because they're getting more effectiveness with each mouthful. So we see animals that spend more time lying down. We see improvements in animal performance and animal health. And I mean, they already had extraordinary animals anyway um, through their breeding program, but just seeing some of the issues that had been happening in the past disappear. But also what was interesting is to see the resilience of that property in terms of how quickly it could bounce back after a drought, driving around and just seeing the horrors of the grasshoppers in the 2021 year, 2022, when we really just were seeing extraordinary in 20. 2020, yeah, grasshopper numbers is they might have a couple of grasshoppers, but nothing that was causing economic harm. And then when you went out into the fields to see the incredible numbers of spiders, and at the bottom of each of these spider webs are all these little carcasses of the grasshoppers, and thinking, wow, I mean, the the grasshopper explosion is really only enabled because there's no predators. If you have an ecosystem that has those predators intact, then uh, they'll control things like grasshoppers. And if we're seeing huge populations of spiders, it's because the spiders are, are feeding on something smaller, which means it's an indicator for the amount of biomass of microbiology that's happening in the soil. So really, really cool to see. Um, we saw an explosion of just di- diversity of plant species. Um, and there wasn't just one thing that any producer that I work with, you're not just looking at, oh, okay, I'm going to intensify my grazing or I'm going to enable more rest. It might be we're doing things with probiotics with livestock um, to improve the efficacy and their their own gut health. A lot of the work we do is looking at what's happening with mindset, you know, what is happening with the mindset of the producers in terms of, do you feel like weather's to blame? Do you feel like it? it's politics to blame for the situation you're in or, or where can we get to where are we accountable in what's been happening there's a saying which says if if you think you can or you think you can't then you're right no matter what you know if that's if that's your attitude and, and so part of this is working with people and looking at where can I be response able where can I build resilience in an ecosystem and you know, I was reading an account, it was a cavalry, they were moving through Texas, through to Colorado, and they were talking about driving through short grass prairie with their wagons, and they had a thousand horses, 
And what they had to do is they actually had to put stakes in the ground so that the caravans further back could see where they had traveled because with their thousand horses going over the ground, the minute they passed over it, the grass would bounce back. And you wouldn't be able to see where the thousand horses and these these guys had gone through with their carts and their oxen. And we don't even know what we've lost. We can't even imagine ecosystems functioning like that because everything's so bristled. The nutrition's gone. The water holding capacity, the fungi have gone. And fungi play an, an integral role in water holding and water movement through soil. And so it's just working with producers like the Indulins to reconnect to the the this deep value of microbiology in terms of do we want to have systems that work no matter what the climate's throwing at us or do we just give up because <laughs> you know there's some it's it's some pretty hard stuff happening in the country right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, what lays ahead? You mentioned that you changed your business model. A bit. Uh-huh. And I'm wondering, how is that going to impact your future? And are you planning seminars and uh-huh. is it, or is it strictly online? Well, taking on this property has been very exciting. So I will be running workshops from here in, in Paradise Valley so people can look at what does it look like to take on a really degraded piece of land and how quickly can we regenerate it? Because I think in the past, we felt like this is something that takes a long time and what I'm seeing is people transform soils so fast, so much faster than I ever thought was possible. And and that's got what I want to be able to demonstrate from here. We're going to set up a learning center um, and be able to run workshops for up to 200 people. And so I'm very excited about that. And in the meantime, we still have our coaching program. We're taking that to the UK in September. And in in that, we're really just working with yeah, agroecologists, people that want to coach or consult or facilitate or educate others. Um, and that's a, it's a really deep dive professional development program. Is there another book in the works? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes, there is. And I think it's, yeah, one of these things, it's like just a, a little seedling that you want to keep watering every now and then. And, and it's, it's sprouting right now in terms of thinking around this the coaching piece and the mindset piece and how it is that we've managed to have some of the successes that we've been able to have when working with people. And really like the term agroecological coach is, I don't think it really was existing in the world. Like it's a very new domain. It's a very exciting space to be working in. And I think it has implications for lots of other fields of education or working with people or working with landscapes. So um, I think the book possibly will go down that angle. But also I'm very interested in the health side of things and how we can reprogram what we're seeing right now, which a lot of this is epigenetics um, and human health and human behavior. So I think there's a part of the book that will be focusing on that as well got about a minute left and I'm wondering if you have any shout outs for partners that um, have been instrumental in your journey and then of course how folks might find you. Oh gosh there's so many people that I'm, I'm grateful for. I think Megan Lannan who's at Barney Creek Livestock is on my team and just a phenomenal force for action. Um, uh, Older Spring Ranch, I just love what they're doing. James Ranch down in Durango, Pisces, Tomcats, 
Dimple Creek Ranch. Just, I'm very, very grateful to call these ranches my friends, um, and that made a huge difference in my life. Yeah, and if people are interested in looking into more about what we're doing, we do have a website, which is integritysoils.com. Thanks, Nicole, for sharing your story and writing your book and coming to Montana, for heaven's sakes. That's amazing. (laughs) My pleasure. Indeed. Absolute pleasure. Yes. Thank you so much. And as usual, we will be back next week. Until then, peace. As I went walking, I saw a sign. Heartstock Radio is a production of KBMF 102.5 Butte America Radio. Hear our programs every Friday at 5 p.m. Mountain Standard Time via live stream at butteamericaradio.org. Sun,